We are gonna go out and play some kickball. Yeah, yeah, all you brave souls who, um, who are gonna join us. It's gonna be fun. Uh, the sun's out, so hopefully it stays with us and we'll go have a great time. But um, if you've been tracking with us for at least the last three weeks, I think in the beginning of May, actually, our, our good friend Will Eifler um, started a sermon series while me and um, my wife Bethany was out uh, to Florida with a group of pastors out there uh, for a retreat. He started a series uh, that was titled Not of This World. We had to take a brief pause because of Mother's Day, of course. Hopefully our mothers felt uh, appreciated and celebrated. But we took a pause um, on that series, and now we're resuming. And I've been tasked with um, the uh, opportunity, really, I consider it as such, to uh, talk about individualism over community. Individualism over community. Now, I have to be totally honest, I did not pick the topics. I usually do, as I am usually behind this pulpit, doing the majority of the preaching uh, with my wife and some others, uh, but Will did. And so I, I like actually assignments, you know, they're, they're fun, you know, because as a pastor, you know, I don't just get to take long breaks. I have to do this thing Sunday after Sunday after Sunday. And so when somebody just says, hey, man, this is the topic that we want you to speak on. And, and this is what we kind of like the direction we want you to go in. I get excited because it kind of just makes uh, the workload a little easier. And I, I think I have a lot to say about community. I am a kind of pro-community guy. I'm not perfect at it as a pastor. We definitely as a church have areas where we need to grow and mature, but uh, we are and do consider ourselves to be a community-driven church. Again, that is not easy in a city like Cambridge, given the transient nature of our city, uh, but we um, really strive to be such. We are uh, a pro-church people, uh, who believe that God is building a family and not an institution. Again, we're not perfect at that, but we see it in the scriptures and therefore we try our best to live it out, like all things that we try our best to live out as we see things in the scriptures, the life of Christ, the gospels and such. It's, it's never perfect, but we strive. And this isn't like this, you know, um, striving that is unpleasing to God. This is just like, God, we long to be like your son, Jesus. And, and certainly that goes into the areas of community. Again, falling back on my default here, the scriptures, we feel like the scriptures, the Bible affirms community. It affirms community over individual, individuality. I'm going to get tongue-tied. It's a little bit of a, a tongue-tying word for me. But if you would, quickly turn open your Bibles, or turn, turn your Bibles open, that's the way I want to say it, to Ecclesiastes chapter 4. We're just going to pull a couple verses. Now, this, this is a, a section of Scripture that I often fall back on when we start talking about community. It's one of my favorites of all time. Um, and hopefully you'll see why, uh, as it really gets right to the point, in the heart of the matter uh, regarding community. So Ecclesiastes 4, 9 through 12 says, two are better than one. We're already off to a good start <laughs> because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow, but woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. I kind of said that loud because there's an exclamation point in my Bible. I don't know what's there for you. Um, but it, 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 it seems to be that the author is, is using some huspah in his words. That means some volume. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? 
And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, um, who is alone two will withstand him. And then the, obviously he goes on to say a three-four cord is not quickly broken. Let's pray. Father, in these next moments, we ask that you would glorify your son Jesus and show us something special here of your truth, God, regarding community, God. We have a short time. The food's already here. Uh, I, I imagine at some point, Father, that food's going to start filling our nostrils. But Lord, we ask that just we be able to zero in on some key things in the scriptures this today before we just jump on to eating and being together as a community. Father, I ask, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would now come upon me and fill my words with your power. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. I'd like to quickly just draw our attentions to the word woe here um, in verse 10, right? The author says, but woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Now, at first glance, the word to me seems a bit misplaced, a bit traumatic, if you would. Woe, really? I mean, when you're talking about being alone, the, 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 the chosen word that God gives uh, Solomon is woe to those. I mean, certainly there's a softer word to use in the scripture and we can kind of get into um, this word a little bit and understanding uh, of this word because it is a stern word used many times in the Bible. Um, Jesus uses it, for example, in the Gospel of Luke 13 times. I know Jesus, 13 times. He actually holds the record and then following behind him, you have Ezekiel chapter 6, and of course, Revelation, I think, 8, 9, 11, and 12, uh, Hosea 7, 13, Habakkuk um, 2, 15, uh, Zephaniah 2, 5. These are just a couple of the many places this word pops up. And this word, uh, the word uh, woe, is a word of judgment. Um, it means that God has passed judgment on something, and he has deemed it as not good. Um, and, and, and so when the word is used, we need, meaning us who are reading the scriptures, need to pay attention. It's, it's meant to, to grip us and, and, and cause us to give uh, um, attention to what's being said. And so, interestingly enough, Solomon finds it uh, fitting to use the word in regards to relationships. <laughs> and, and he kind of sternly by the inspired, uh, you know, he's inspired by God, he decides the choice word will be woe to those who are alone. In Luke chapter 11, Jesus uses it, we, we count here, I think, seven times, but I think I have about four of those seven times. In 11:43 through 47, here's Jesus saying, woe to you Pharisees, for you love the best seat in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces. Woe to you, for you are like unmarked graves, and people walk over them without knowing it. And then if we skip down to verse 46, he says, Woe to you lawyers also, for you load people with burdens hard to bear, and you yourselves do not touch the burdens with one of your fingers. And then in verse 47, woe, that's a lot of woes if you just get the drift here. Um, and again, this is a stern word. This is a word that often highlights uh, and, and, and brings our attention to, to impending judgment. God is judging something and is being stern and very clear with what he dislikes. 
Now, I don't want to bring a dark cloud here. This is not my point. But I mean, in light of community, I think we can, we can get the point that God is pro-community here. You know, he's pro that there's some sense of togetherness in the church. He, he frowns upon, um, you know, uh, the state of someone being alone by choice. Now, of course, this makes total sense because you know what? God had already made this judgment in the beginning. And so it makes, it, it's perfectly clear why God would be so stern here in Ecclesiastes because in Genesis chapter 2 18 God had already passed judgment uh, in, in that he he looked at something and said oh that's not good and what wasn't good amongst all the things that was good about creation was that Adam was found alone and God said it is not good in Genesis chapter 2 18 for man to be alone now We'd have to imagine, and I'm moving fast, so hold on. I, I smell the cheese pizza, and I want to get to it before it gets cold. But um, we'd have to imagine at this point in Genesis 2.18 that Adam is somewhat oblivious to his aloneness. I mean, he's in the garden, y'all, before the fall. I don't know about you, but I think the last thing that I would be aware of in kind of the perfect... Um, the perfectness of, of heaven before Adam and Eve had sinned and sin entered the world, I think the last thing I would be aware of is my aloneness. I don't, I don't think that Adam had any idea of his aloneness. I actually think that Adam, and uh, you know, you, you can think of it what you may, but I actually think Adam was having the time of his life. I mean, I know I would. I mean, this is the place that one day we all get to get back to and we hope to get back to. We long to get back to that perfect relationship and connection of unbroken fellowship with the Lord. Adam had it. So, of course, he's having the time of his life. So, as the story goes, and you're probably aware, uh, God saw it fit to create for Adam a helper and her name was Eve, all right in the world after he created this um, helper for Adam. And I imagine that uh, it wasn't just so that Adam's needs could be met uh, primarily, because, you know, often I think we, we, we attribute or we kind of confuse the word alone with loneliness. Like God looked at Adam's loneliness and thought, oh, that's not good. No, God saw that Adam was alone. The two are very distinct. They are very different. And so I imagine that the purpose of creating Eve wasn't strictly just for Adam's needs to be met and companionship for him to be fulfilled, but that Adam would have someone also to meet their needs and to have companionship with me, with them. Are you tracking with me? And so we have to assume again, just falling back on this, that Adam was fully satisfied in God. And because of that, Eve wasn't created simply for the purpose of helping and meeting Adam's need. God had something more in store, I think, for Adam. Maybe, maybe God created Eve so Adam would have the ability of serving her, helping her, loving someone, feeling that. I mean, right now he is in bliss. He is in perfect perfection. I don't know if I said that right, but he's, he's got it good. And God gives him not just somebody that can help him, but somebody he can help. God creates for Adam a community. 
Maybe God wanted Adam to have an opportunity to meet the needs of someone else. Maybe God wanted Adam to experience the joy of interdependent relationships. That seems to be what the scriptures kind of promote and kind of put out there for us. It's not independence from one another, it's interdependence. That's what God sees fit for us. And of course, we see this carried on through to the book of Acts, right? A, a, a portion of scripture that we often as a community uh, um, reference a lot and talk about a lot. But if you want to turn there in Acts chapter 2, and again, I'm, I'm moving fast. In Acts chapter 2, 42 through 47, we read, we read this, after the spirit moved in power, this was what happened to that um, early church. It says, they, the church, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came over every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. All who believed were together and had all things in common. Wow, if God would do that again, please, Lord, we, we so need that. 45, and they uh, were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the pro uh, proceeds to all who had need. Uh, and, the day, and day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. So during the early days of the church's conception, we see a unique togetherness. We, seek an un, uh, uh, we see an uncommon commonality and an interdependence, this distributing, this selling of proceeds and kind of distributing the sales of, of, of that income around to the community, those who had need. There, there's no individualism here. There's just self-reliance. There's no independence. There's just people um, looking out for other people. And, and we have to imagine that God wants similar for us today. We, we've, we've gone and have moved as a culture and as a church, not just Hilltop Church, but the church has moved so far away from, from what we see God started in Acts chapter 2. We've moved so far uh, from, from, from that um, togetherness and that having things in common and that looking out for people who have needs. It's a, it's a kind of a culture where we're to get out there, make a name for ourselves. You know, we're, we're self-made, self-reliant, selfish, or better known as do you. <laughs> that's, that's the new catchphrase we put on. Do you, and if there's anything left for someone else, then, you know, if it's in your heart, look out for your brother or your sister. In other words, it's kind of a Beyonce Knowles kind of culture. The shoes on my feet, I bought it. The clothes I'm wearing, I bought it. The rock I'm rocking, I bought it. Because I depend on me when I want it. Which is a good song, but possibly a bad example. God has created a scenario for us, the church, where that kind of existence doesn't have to exist. <laughs> that makes sense, right? He, he's given us the extraordinary opportunity to think uh, 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 in our relationships as being interdependent upon one another. And this 
somewhat flies in the face of culture. But yet, you know, the saddest thing is when the church looks more like the culture than it looks like the church. <laughs> you know? And, and God wants to set apart people, guys. We, we can't let culture define the way we do community, much like anything else. We can't let the culture define our sexuality. We, we can't let the culture define racism and, and all these isms. We, we need God to come in and, 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 and with the truth of his word, pierce our heart because we are a different, peculiar people who, who are not just looking out for our needs, but looking out for the needs of others. We're, 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 we're a peculiar people in that we are dedicated and committed to one another. And, and that's real. We're not just floating and going from church to church as the so-called spirit leads. We're building long lasting roots of relationship, bonds, broken. And so yes, we need to come out from being indoctrinated by the culture of how we do church, how we do community. And we need to see a better and greater perspective offered in the gospels, offered in the Bible, and then be faithful to live it out. Here's the thing, it's not gonna be easy. It's not gonna be easy. Because we are prone to think about us. See, that song is funny, right? But it really underscores and highlights the heart of every individual in this room, including me. It's what I want. It's what feels good to me. It's what I deserve. It's where I want to be. It's what I think. And God wants to break that in the church. And I think he's going to offer us an opportunity for that to be broken in this church. You see, we want to, as, see, I can't take responsibility in, in what happens for other churches out there in Cambridge, in Boston. I, I'm only responsible to faithfully lead this congregation by God's grace. And I'm saying right now, church, we have to, uh, we have to rise up. We have to come out of our stupor, our cultural stupor, and stop letting the world define for us truth. Because the last time I heard, Jesus is the only one who holds the corner market on truth. I don't know of anybody else that, that holds that. And so I'm saying this, when it comes to defining what community should and what it shouldn't be, we should look to Christ, the truth. And how did Christ create community? Well, Christ was fiercely dedicated to his 12 people. I probably would have killed at least two of them. I would have disavowed absolutely the guy who was trying to kill me. But he's fiercely dedicated. I'm sorry for spinning, breaking a lot of CDC rules. I'm sure. <laughs> they change, right? They change. But you, you get what I'm saying, right? Like where is the manifestation of the gospel in the lives of the modern day church, the church today. Where is, we're all, you know, 
I feel like the charismatic just churches has their head in the clouds waiting for some kind of glory to come and, and revival. And I'm there. I, I want God's glory to come. I want revival. But there are some practical things to do in the meantime. There are some things to be dedicated and to live out. And one of those things is the way that we live out relationally in this church and how we honor or dishonor God in that. And so we're going to believe God to raise the bar in our church and be fiercely dedicated and committed to one another. As we see reflected in the text, I've reached my time. I, I was... Uh, committed to do 1215 uh, and no later. You know, it's okay. It's okay. Because you know what? God was glorified. Andrew Montoya, he released the word of the Lord. And this was a good word. And now we do those other fun, practical things that are just as important of, uh, uh, just as important as everything else we already did. And one thing is now we get the chance to live out community and break.